Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, we bring up Pascal, the new GTX 1080, and I talk about my next modding project, the Fantex Evolve Tempered Glass Edition. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. Dennis, it's been a fantastic week for hardware announcements. I was excited about all the new stuff coming out, but particularly the release of of NVIDIA's new chipset. Yes, the GTX 1080 and also the 1070. NVIDIA released details of these Pascal-based GPUs at DreamHack in Austin just this last weekend. So 1080 is really interesting for me because it immediately goes to 1080p. So I thought it was an interesting choice for their flagship, but numerically correct, I guess, if you're advancing by 100. Yes, if you are doing that, you had the 980, 980 ties, now you have the 1080s and likely a 1080 tie, but it's kind of hypothetical at this point. A lot of people were making the reference that, oh, hey, it's for 1080p gaming, (laughs) but then when the AMD card comes out and it's 2460, it'll be for 4K gaming. Oh, see, now there's an interesting way for AMD to combat it with the folks that aren't doing their research, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. So 1080 is a regular GTX, not a tie. Correct. Yeah, the ties always come out after the fact. According to Jensen, this was, what, two or three years in development with billions of dollars invested and is the most advanced GPU they've ever created. Well, I saw some preliminary specs, and I think maybe it'd be fun to walk through them. But because, of course, I'm very price motivated, the first thing that jumped out at me was the price point announcements. And I know in the past, NVIDIA has been really pretty tight-lipped about price up until sometimes the last minute. So to see this in the slide deck was impressive, and I'm just going to quote here from the slides. So the GTX 1070, likely the card that I will end up with, is 379 MSRP or 449 for the Founders Edition. We'll talk about that a little bit in a minute, I think. Yeah, and it's available June 10th. That's another important thing. Yeah, that is, which is only slightly behind the GTX 1080 with a 599 price point, which seems incredibly aggressive. And then 699 for the Founders Edition of that, with a release date of May 27th. Which is right before Computex. So we're talking about a pretty aggressive price point, and the reason I say that is because of the performance point, especially when we compare it to the previous generation, which had the Titans and the 980 ties. But the Titan, of course, is the one that got all the press initially. Right. So let's talk a little bit about how the 1080 and maybe even the 1070 compare to the current generation, which we are both proud owners of. Right. So at the event at DreamHack, Jensen was showing some performance numbers. And the first one that he brought up, well, the first one that brought in a lot of oohs and ahs was the new king chart. (laughs) Now that's a pretty bold statement for a slide. Right. A new king. NVIDIA is very big into performance per watt. They don't really care about frame rates so much or clock speed so much. They are talking about how much power can you get at the least amount of power, so to speak. You know, power in versus performance out. Well, that kind of makes sense because we've talked a lot about how software leads the hardware some generations and hardware leads the software some generations. And this is really one of those generations where the hardware is still leading the software by a pretty good amount. So when you already have processors like the 980 that are having no problem handling 4K gaming on most setups, then really you don't need to focus so much on improving those numbers. No, you need to start optimizing those numbers. And as Jensen said, um, 
power efficiency equals performance. So I, I was thought that was an interesting correlation. So the chart that he brought up has the GTX 960, which is a, a good budget gamer card with a 120 watts power draw, I'm assuming, is how this chart is reading. Roughly, yeah. We have the GTX 970, which is a very, very popular gaming card. That's the one I run, and it looks like around uh, 150, maybe? 150, 145. And then we also have the GTX 980, which is roughly around 160 watts. And then you have the Titan X, which is their professional card that supports a lot of stuff that doesn't lend itself well to gaming, but more for professional rendering and GPU Definitely computations. Definitely an overkill card for most folks, or a bragging rights card, depending on your budget. Something like that. Uh, and the Titan X, uh, they have this one at around 250 watts, which is also, if we go back in history, around the GTX 780, which was a mainstream gaming card. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm near and dear to my heart card. So we have the GTX 1080, which is sitting at 180 watts, and on this performance curve, the Titan X is sitting at three and a half, and GTX 1080 is sitting at four and a half. Oh, interesting. So what does that uh, translate to in, in real world numbers? I know they talked about percentage-wise how much faster than the Titan X the 1080 is expected to be. Can you give us some preliminary numbers? Uh, they didn't give us any numbers, and this chart is a little misleading because it's purely looking at power versus performance, but we don't know what the baseline for that performance number is, aside from what these cards are. And you'll also notice that the GTX 980 Ti isn't listed on here. Yes. So we have the 980 Ti, which I think is around 190 or something like that. In terms of like power draw, it's the same, about the same probably a little bit on the high side, but definitely not the same performance. Well, I'd imagine that it probably wouldn't fall too far off the curve that we're seeing there anyway. Some of that power comes from the nine teraflops of throughput and the fact that the Pascal chip comes with 2,560 CUDA cores. At the DreamHack event, Jensen was showing a basically a demo. They fired up uh, EVGA's Precision X to give you some stats on the card, okay. how much memory is being used, temperatures. You were running... 2,100 megahertz, 2.1 gigahertz, basically. And the card was sitting at a reasonable 63 degrees centigrade. Well, that's not bad. It's not bad at all. He also had mentioned that this was the fastest clocked processor, aside from maybe a 980 Ti under LN2. We can thank uh, Kingpin for that one. Yeah. I also see in that both cards, and we haven't mentioned this yet, are running a default 8 gigs of memory. It looks like... Um... Yeah, see, GTX 1070 is running standard GDDR5. GTX 1080 is using the new Micron GDDR5X. Ooh. They both have 8 gigabytes of frame buffer, and I believe the, um, the GDDR5X is running at 10 gigahertz. Well, that's terrific, and a shout-out to the local boys because we like our crucial memory. It's nice to see them back on top again. Well, and it was a bit scary a little while ago because HBM was going to be used on the Pascal Titan version and also on a lot of AMD chips. So we thought that maybe HBM was going to make it onto the consumer level cards, right. which would totally wipe out the GDDR5X. But it appears that um, that is not going to be the case. And chances are with this processor or GPU launch, it will at least be for another two or three years. Well, and I guess that you got to take into account the development cycle. They probably just didn't have time. So maybe in the tie, right? Well, maybe with the tie. Um, 
generally speaking, NVIDIA doesn't um, do much with the tie except for either unlock cores or increase clock speed. Jensen was claiming that this chip loves to overclock, which is kind of an, a nod saying that, well, we have the Founders Edition, which allows overclocking, which we can kind of speculate a bit, but also that if we have a card ramped up to 2.1 gigahertz running at 63 degrees, there's a lot of headroom left, also in the cooler and in the chip. Well, I'm noticing that the uh, the pictures there have kind of a unique heat sink design to them that sort of reminds me of a stealth fighter of some sort. And I don't see any visible fans, so I'm guessing that they're going with sort of the, uh, what is it, the air tunnel design that we've seen where you're doing 100% blow out the back of the card. Yeah, they're doing the, the same squirrel cage uh, blower on there. So in terms of overall design, it's the same as what was launched with the was GTX 770 or uh, where we have the metal frame, the squirrel cage, and then the, the window th- over the, um, the heat fence. So I'm guessing that this is probably going to be safely a double-din card. Yeah, it's definitely a double-din card, just like the previous version. Uh, it blows out the back. They changed the outer design of the shell to making it more geometric. We saw a couple of pictures on Reddit today where somebody had uh, superimposed the GTX 1080 and made it look like a Lamborghini. I can see that. Yeah, especially the back sort of looks like a fin with some air vents like you'd see on a modern supercar. Or is that the front? It's hard to tell in the pictures. Yeah, uh, the the numbers are always back by the um, opposite of the fan. Fans uh-huh. deep inside the case. So you don't see the fan in these particular slide screenshots that I made because while a lot of people got to go to DreamHack, <laughs> I had to watch the live stream from home. Well, you can only attend so many trips, and you do tend some of the further ones. I want to come back a little bit to talk about the Founders Edition because it seems like it's getting a lot of press. And you'd already mentioned that the Founders Edition has the advantage of unlocked overclocking. At least that's what we're assuming. Yeah. Jensen had mentioned, uh, Jensen being the CEO of NVIDIA, Mm -hmm. he had mentioned that the Founders Edition would allow overclocking. And that was pretty much the all of the detail he went into on the live stream so like an unlocked card which is definitely i mean we're talking about only a 70 ish dollar difference now i would guess also that based on the price premium it would probably have a more expansive heat sink maybe you know i'm not so sure about that again we're we're kind of speculating here because we didn't see any pictures of it some of the folks that were at dreamhack probably got to probe their marketing people and got some more information <laughs> on it still rumor But uh, the way that I see Founders Edition, since it allows overclocking, that's kind of a very loose term because, as we both know, video cards are inherently unlocked. All you need to do is use software and you can unlock them. The parts that are locked are the fact that the BIOS only allows a certain amount of clock frequency change. It doesn't allow any voltage change. So I see the Founders Edition as being more of a, the way NVIDIA treated cards before Project Greenlight which was that big fiasco where EVG had to remove the EVBot stuff. Oh, yes, of course. These chips might go to board partners that are the ones that are making the the custom uh, PCBs, like the classified edition and the Lightning and also the Strix and stuff like that from Asus. At that point, you might have a warranted GPU, at least from the manufacturer, ones that they can treat that allows a certain amount of voltage change. And, you know, you can get more performance out of it. Well, I think it's telling that they've made the decision to not only release a Founders Edition, but to announce in advance that it's not a limited run, that it should be available throughout the life of the 
designed the 1080s and the 1070s, and both have a Founders Edition as opposed to just the 1080. Correct. And that is, that's huge because we have the people that buy, you know, reference cards because they just want a, a GPU to, to put in there. These are also the OEM builders. They can buy that less expensive card. For people like us that want to get the most from our system or people that you've duped into spending more money than, than need be, they can buy these Founders Edition cards. And maybe, you know, it's like you buy the 1080 Classified. It may not have the name Founders Edition on the end, but it's assumed that that's the chip that you get. Well, one thing I do notice is already there's been a seismic shift in the price of current GPUs. I'm already seeing 770s down in the 250 range, maybe after rebate, and the 1080s have dropped down to the 400-ish range. So the, the 980s? The 980s have dropped down. Gosh, there are all so many numbers. You know, now 1080p. But <laughs> Oh, speaking of, of 980, this is something that we didn't mention in terms of performance. Uh, Jensen was mentioning that the 1080, the GTX 1080, the one that you can get for $600, is faster than two 980s in SLI. You know, and that's what hurts, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am building my system with my beautiful 970, water-cooled, and then they announced the price of the 1070s and 1080s, and I got to tell you, it's kind of painful sometimes. <laughs> I know if you wait, there's always something newer. But man, it is going to be hard to not snatch one of those up day one. Yeah, same here, really. And I want to see what the board partners will do with the cards. That's what's really exciting. And I'm kind of kicking myself because um, this isn't like well-known knowledge, but I'm not going to be going to Computex this year, which is sad, sad. Oh, no. And for the first time in, what, four years, we have two major product launches that have been announced right before the show starts. And that's nice, too, because as opposed to refreshes, there'll be new stuff. But that's okay, because it will filter down like it always does. And we've already talked, ironically, about how sometimes you can get better news by watching from afar, like I do. Yeah, so maybe, maybe I can get uh, that magical, you know, launch day press release stuff out on Hardware Asylum and uh, not be so sad of not handshaking and baby kissing and stuff. Looking at the aftermarket cards, what are you most looking forward to? Ooh, aftermarket. Uh, you talking about like 1080 stuff? Yes. Um, well, I have to go with the big two. The big two being uh, the EVGA classified. I'm looking forward to that one. I want to see a good classified. And also the lightnings. But the lightnings have been like elusive. They're like the unicorns of, of the, <laughs> the whole enthusiast world. But with the fact that uh, we have the Founders Edition and the the rumor that they're not going to be limited edition, there might be more lightning cards available. Well, definitely. It certainly gives you the opportunity to benchmark against two different types of cards right out the gate. And if those are the reference cards, oh boy, we'll see what those aftermarket cards can do. So hey, keep your eyes open, your budget available, and jump on one of those coming up next month. And it's one of the reasons I like coming over here to do the podcast, and there are many, is that it gives me a chance to get a sneak peek at what's going on in the lab, whether it be upcoming review products, things under NDA that we can't be discussing right now. But in particular, this time around, I was really drawn to a case because it's so rare I see a case so prominently displayed in the lab. Yeah, well, once I get done with the review, a lot of them go back in the box and are stored away. That's very true. And, and for folks at home, I'm sure if you followed us for a while, you know that most cases become review products and then become giveaways. 
or just kit store because they just, you know, they're not as exciting as some of the things like the 1080 GTX, for example. Yeah, or the Inwin S-Frame or even the Silverstone TJ10, which are sitting in the corner right over there. So this is a pretty glamorous case, and it is from a company that I am not as familiar with. It is a Fantex case. Yes, the Fantex Etho Evolve. Now that's an interesting name, Etho Evolve without an E, I might point out. Yeah, I, I really don't know what that means, although we kind of did a quick Google search and it's Hindi or something, saying you got Etho, which is Greek for something else. And uh, Yeah, it has character, I think, is what a loose interpretation is, but that's beside the point. But it's so rare that I see a case not immediately packed away, so I thought this one would maybe be worth talking about. But first, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about Fantech, since they're not as big a company as some of those that we've talked about in the past. Okay. Well, this is um, a Dutch company, and they've been in business for about 20 years now, according to their website. They started in coolers. And I'm assuming that they're a lot like Be Quiet, where Be Quiet was a huge company in Germany, very well known. And they just started selling internationally. Well, it's kind of the same thing with Fantex, at least in the U.S. So we didn't start seeing the name for, you know, maybe the past three or four years. So a little background. How did you find out about this company? Where did you first hook up with them? Is this a CES find? Uh, It's a CES find. And really, it's one of the, I've been doing this for 20 some odd years now. I have a pretty big backlog of contacts. And it was a, a contact, I believe, from... Antech. Oh. And uh, he kind of moved over to Fantex and just kind of said, hey, I got this case. You want to review it? Love to. Well, now I believe you've done a Fantech review. I think I remember one not too long ago. And I think that was the first time I'd heard the name. It was the Fantex of Etho Evolve Mini ITX version. And I believe that was kind of the same time that the Evolve was launched. And it was, uh, of course, as the name suggests, it was Mini ITX. It was powder-coated white, so there wasn't really a lot of modding opportunities, but I was very impressed with the internal layout. It was also a case I saw at uh, CyberPower earlier that year, so we had a mini ITX board. Instead of it laying flat, it was vertical. Oh, that's right, yeah. In a standard case configuration, and it had a spot for drives, a basement that covered the power supply, and then enough room for an all-in-one water cooler, which was a bit of a challenge for a mini ITX case. I know you tend to be a little bit harder on white cases than I am because I tend to be a fan of light effects, which look really good on white, if you can keep them clean, of course. But this case in particular has, I think, a really just a gorgeous finish. And uh, I don't know, in this light, it almost looks blue, gray. I mean, I can't even really tell. This particular case is the Fantex Evolve ATX Tempered Glass Edition. And this was a a new addition to the... um, the original Fantex Evolve that had been out for a couple of years now, where they replaced the side panels with, from the standard steel with Plexi to tempered glass. Yes, and I got to tell you guys, you need to immediately Google this thing or check out the pictures on our website because it is very difficult to describe how cool tempered glass really looks. So the tempered glass is a bit shaded. It's a lot like what Inwin uses on their cases. Yes, which is gorgeous there too. Yeah, and it's heavy glass, so it's fairly thick, about a quarter of an inch. They put a a black border around it so that anywhere that it contacts the case physically has been blacked out. So you get to see the basement, you get to see all of the motherboard area and where the drives would normally be. It will also expose part of where 
radiators might be installed in fans. And I should point out that the color really is reminiscent of a gunmetal as opposed to a gray or blue, now that I take a closer look at it. Or maybe even nickel-plated. I don't know. No. The the aluminum pieces on this case are gunmetal. The the steel pieces are black, the standard kind of matte black that we normally see. We have the tempered glass side panels. Uh, the front panel, which is... Um, here, I'll remove this real quick here. Sure. Okay. Uh, this is one piece of folded aluminum. And at the top, we have a little flip-out that will expose the... Uh, USB drives, the aud- or USB connections, the audio ports, and also the button that normally is reserved for a reset. But on the tempered glass edition, we have 10 LED lighting effects, and that's the Ooh. button that changes those effects. Built-in LED lighting. You know it was coming, right? RGB editions of cases. RGB, awesome. <laughs> oh, the funny thing about the RGB is that it, on the back, which is also a tempered glass panel, oh, yeah. so you can see all of your cable management, however good and or bad it is, the LED effects are extendable, and you can use their LED magnetic strips that will, if you change the LED color of the power and hard drive button or hard drive lights, it will change the light on that LED strip. Magnetic LED lights is one of those things where I am still kicking myself for how do we not come up with this sooner? And I think that'd look fantastic, especially with the tempered glass, because it's going to show everything, which is definitely a mixed blessing. Now, before I ask questions about things like the basement, I think it's worth asking, why is this still in the lab and not back in the box? What's what's the plan here? I might have mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I am a I'm a case snob <laughs> in the fact that every case is not good enough for my builds. You know, for the first, what, three years that we did the podcast, I still had an Antex 635 that I'd modified eight, nine years before. And those mods allowed me to run, you know, a 1366 processor in there with two video cards and SLI. Basically, I, you know, vented the crap out of it. It was a bit noisy. It was a bit small, but... I couldn't find an adequate case to replace it with. And then I moved into the Raven 4, which I like that case. It has really good air flowing, but it's different from what I want to do. I want to do an actual, um, you know, a mod, kind of like what I've done for the your case and also the cases I've given away, but do that for myself. Well, I think you're definitely overdue for it. And this case is going to have really some phenomenal opportunity for modding because it's a very wide open design. With that in mind, let's talk about that term that you used, the basement, because I don't know that's a term that we normally use when we're talking about cases. And I can definitely see why you used it. But for the folks out there, what is the basement? The basement is that area where, okay, well, we can go back a little bit. Cases a long time ago used to have the power supply at the top of the case. Yes. And now they are at the bottom of the case, underneath the the last PCI Express slot. Well, the basement is basically a panel that covers that power supply and anything else that's in that region from view. In this case, that would include the old-style hard drives. Yeah, well, we have two three-and-a-half-inch drive uh, cages down there, and then a, a couple of spots where you can put pumps, and you can also put two-and-a-half-inch drives down there. And the power supply hides all of the cables, so the cables that come out of the power supply, modular or not, will be hidden completely by this panel in the basement. And then they'll come up through the back of the motherboard or behind the motherboard tray and the drives and then can be dispersed. 
Well, that makes sense, especially with the two tempered glass panels, because you definitely want everything as clean as can be. And that kind of leads me to my first really major observation about the case, and that is the tremendous amount of cable management that's available. Now, that I've seen a lot of cases also in my many years doing this. I'd have a hard time even quoting how many. But this case has more cable management, and it's not just there because they want to check out the box. This is very well-planned out cable management. I mean, even to the point where we have an offset between the motherboard tray and the hard drive tray, if there were indeed hard drives, which are clearly optional, so that the cables can come out not at an extreme U-bend like we normally see off of the motherboard. Yeah, they kind of go directly in. Well, like if you use an EVGA motherboard in this case, that all of the connections are at a 90 degrees, so they can come directly in from the side. Right, and I think that's kind of the future where motherboards are going too, which is even nicer. But looking at the back of this thing here, I've got a, um, wow, just a whole bunch of pre-planned cable management, including nice branded Fantech Velcro already in place. Already in place, and there's a fair amount of cables already in this case because we have our... All right, fans that go into a PWM fan controller. Oh, I see that. Yeah, that's handy. Yeah, and there's a, a couple of extra spots that are open on here. So if you fill up every fan location with a fan, you can plug it into this controller. And then there is one end, the PWM connection, that will go connect directly to your motherboard, takes the PWM signal and multiplies it as like a hub to all the fans. So if your case fan needs to ramp up, it ramps up all of the fans. Well, that kind of makes sense because in theory, at least, you're always going to want the internal temperature to ramp up together, which doesn't always happen in a standard setup. Now, I know that you've been on a water cooling kick lately, and that's been our theme here at Hardware Asylum as we're planning water cooling builds in my machine. Is there a water cooling build planned for this one? Yes. Let's talk a little bit about the water cooling features of this case because just at a glance, I see a lot of what I would say non-standard water cooling compatibility, maybe? Something like that. Right now we have the motherboard on the left, and then we have this huge area on the right. Those are reserved for another um, three and a half inch drive base. Which there are none in the default configuration. Well, none in the default configuration being that out of the box, you don't see them. Now, in, in the package, we have three more that we can add there, and they're tray style. So they slide in very similar to the way that your five and a quarter drive base oh, fit yeah. in the V51. So they, they clip in, and then there's a couple of screws that come in through the back, and then the hard drive sits on a tray. Very similar to the way the S-Frame did it. The power and the SATA connection, they go through this plastic panel here, through the back, so you never see a cable coming off of those drives. Now, hold on. Before you jump into the water cooling details, I want to point out that there are, even without the standard cage in the front, one, two, three SSD locations that I can see, two in the back behind the motherboard and one up front in a really interesting location. And then we already talked about the basement area in front of the power supply has two standard hard drive locations. So it's not like you're hurting for hard drive locations at all. They're just cleverly placed. They are. And that's one reason I kind of bring that up is because those trays are completely optional, uh, leaving you a huge area for a radiator, a pump res, a pump, and probably even another res if you really wanted to have one there. And you still have 
plenty of storage options. Well, I also noticed that the fans have a lot of flexibility in their location. So you could do a top-mounted radiator and a front-mounted radiator, which is very popular these days. You could maybe even mount a radiator on the top of that basement panel if you were really crazy. Although I don't know that it would be the best place for cooling. Well, maybe if you did a, a micro ATX case, you could fit that in there. But what I found was that a standard ATX motherboard pretty much butt up a very you know, right at the bottom of the basement right there. So in terms of like water cooling options for me, I'm thinking probably a 240 rad uh, mounted front. I'm assuming front. Um, you know, once I get the components, I can model them around. Sure, yeah. And then behind that, put a, a pump res combo. I'd probably do a, a shorter one just so it fits. Because I found that the tall one that we got for your case kind of butts up it to the very top of the case and there's no way to get the return to come back through. Oh yeah, definitely a mixed blessing because you get the oversized res, but you, then you have to make it fit. Right. One thing I didn't point out though is that right at the bottom of where all those hard drive trays are, there's a plate that can be removed and that exposes the, the three and a half inch drive trays below it. But if you remove that cage completely, you could run your pump res all the way down to the bottom of the case and pass through. Oh, no, there's an intriguing possibility because then you could hide the parts of the pump that are necessary evils and leave just a pretty res poking out of that hole. And that's something that they built into the case. They were kind of thinking of, well, you can open this up and put a taller radiator in there, for instance, right? Or you could have your pump res go all the way through, or you could have the pump at the bottom and then pass your hoses through that opening. Or you could pass them through the back and then come in from one of those openings that I was talking about for the cable and SATA connections on your hard drive. So there's a lot of creativity in the way that you run things, not necessarily for just installing hardware, but also installing water cooling. Well, high marks indeed. I think maybe as a way to close it up, just kind of postulate what's your dream build here. If you could put, you know, exactly what you wanted in here, what would you be looking at? Uh, let's see, I'm going to do X99 with the A-Core 5690X, probably two SSDs. I have rotational drives right now. I'm mostly for storage and stuff like that. Just kind of stuff those in there. Uh, Water-cooled CPU, obviously, maybe a GPU, but since I do classified cards, the water blocks are a bit more expensive and a bit more, how you should say, specialized. So I may, that might be a, a future option, but if I do a big enough radiator, it shouldn't really matter for the mod because you know i can't have just a standard case right <laughs> no of course not so i'll be disassembling the case we'll do the the standard pearl orange like what we did on the v51 love that orange we'll be leaving the aluminum panels the same gunmetal color that they're there that will go with the theme quite well kind of do some black accents either paint the whole thing orange but i'm thinking maybe just the motherboard tray and the basement I'll leave everything else black I have some interesting ideas for the front panel that we talked about there. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a surface there you can play with. Yeah, maybe do a a laser etch of the flame guy and then kind of some paint inlaid in there to kind of cover it. At the very top, there is these little decorative vents that have kind of a black grill behind it. So I'd probably try to remove that black grill, paint them black, and maybe duplicate those on the front panel to get a little bit more airflow through there. Well, it sounds like we can look forward to another build log starting very soon on the hardwareasylum.com website. Yeah, that's the summer project. That was, at least that's the plan. 
I definitely would encourage you to check out the case because the more I look at it, the more I am impressed with some of the design decisions. And we'll see more of that, of course, on the site and in the review. But Fantex, apparently a case manufacturer you should be checking out. And check out the bid log coming soon. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Google or like us on Facebook. This has been an Engineering Production, copyright 2016. Thanks for listening.